Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my co-host and cohort, Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Today we have an incredibly topical podcast where we focus on a blog post Matt put up, which is entitled, Trump test corporate America's commitment to values. We talk about the resignation of Ken Frazier and several other prominent CEOs from the administration's board of CEOs as business advisors. We consider the risks companies face both commercially and in their compliance function for failing to speak out against the administration's embrace of the alt-right and white nationalism. Then we take a look at individuals in the administration and the decisions they have to make regarding continuing to work in the administration or, as in the case of Wei Chin, former compliance counsel at the Department of Justice, the lack of ethical tone at the top of the current administration led her to resign her position. We also consider the case of Sally Yates, who was fired for or declining to instruct the Department of Justice to advocate for the first Muslim travel ban very interesting intersection of politics, business, and compliance. The episode comes in in a little over 20 minutes. I think you will find it certainly interesting. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and CEO of Radical Compliance, where we take a deep dive into a compliance-related issue. Today, in a very topical podcast, we wanted to take a look at and consider uh, themes around a post that Matt put up entitled, Trump Tests Corporate America's Commitment to Values. And uh, Matt, uh, maybe uh, since you put up the post today, you could kind of set it up and uh, uh, where we're going to try to take this today. Sure. So um, great to be here, as always, talking about these issues. And for anybody listening, we are talking on Wednesday, August 16. And I feel like we need to timestamp our podcast on these issues now, because Donald Trump is changing the circumstances almost every day. Um, I was trying to write about his response to the white supremacy march in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the weekend which resulted in the depth of one counter-protester and his totally tone-deaf response, I think on Sunday, followed up by his slightly less tone-deaf response on Monday, where he was reading from a script that clearly somebody told President Trump, you have to actually say neo-Nazis in the KKK are bad, which he did. And then yesterday, Tuesday, he went off the rails on a press conference yet again, where he doubled down on his first statement that there's violence on both sides and, you know, trying to equate some moral ambiguity and equivalency to white supremacy when there is none. And I started writing about how the CEOs on his various advisory councils are starting to resign from this in protest. It was started by Ken Frazier, who is the CEO of Merck who is African-American, and he resigned, I believe, on Sunday afternoon. He was followed by a few more, Brian Krasanich from Intel, uh, Kevin Plank from Under Armour. And that's not to be confused with 
Bob Iger from Disney and Elon Musk from Tesla, who have already resigned in protest back in June for when Donald Trump repudiated the climate change accords from Paris. And of all CEOs who took the early principled stance, Travis Kalanick from Uber. And when was the last time we ever talked about Travis Kalanick doing something noble? But he resigned, I think, back in January, right after Donald Trump tried to force the Muslim ban through, um, which did fail then and now is in some piecemeal fashion moving forward. But we have a bunch of CEOs. I think more have resigned that I've already forgotten to mention. But clearly, these CEOs now are starting to wake up and say, this man has bad values. And we can't be seen with his values because they will contaminate our talk about our values at our companies, which are supposed to be good. Uh, and I don't think we've seen the last of it. I think throughout today, Wednesday, we're going to see more CEOs uh, fly the coop. And so they should, because this is just a tremendous mess that Donald Trump has inflicted upon the CEOs. This is the last thing they want to deal with. And yet here they are. So let me... Um let me see if I could put uh, some other um, thoughts into this, Matt, because I've been thinking about this. Uh, I think most of America has been thinking about this since Saturday and Sunday. Um, mm -hmm. Yesterday, Dell um, Computers here in Texas uh, issued a press release that they would not be resigning from uh, the president's council because they thought it was important to advocate issues around technology. And later on we're in this podcast, we're going to take a take, uh, uh, have a discussion about an individual's reaction or what an individual may consider. But it brought up for me that in the corporate world, there are multiple data points you need to consider and multiple uh, decisions or, or uh, permutations that would go into any decision. And many argue that uh, the president's counsel is, is a complete window dressing uh, mm -hmm. and that the only reason CEOs are on there is, is simply for ego. Nevertheless, I think it's important that CEOs from large organizations have a forum with the government with where they can discuss issues of mutual concern. And so I can, on a principled stance, I can understand why a company may want to continue to be a part of that. But businesses exist for multiple reasons, primarily of which is to be in business. And you have talked about in the past the Trump effect really in connection with risk and how companies need to account for this. And now we seem to be moving to a new level of risk. And you ticked off certain uh, CEOs um, who have resigned. And the reasons for their resignations, uh, Travis Kalanick, um, to the uh, Under Armour CEO, uh, some of them were direct business reasons that mm -hmm. companies, uh, their businesses were going to be negatively impacted. And is that something companies need to take account now as a risk due to their proximity to the president? You know, I, I think so. Um, and I realize you know, that is more of a strategy and perhaps marketing and PR issue than a core corporate compliance concern. But don't worry, compliance listeners, because I got some core concerns for you. We'll get to. But uh, I will give an example of what I think might be in Kevin Plank's head from Under Armour. Um, so he makes athletic gear and his company does a lot of celebrity endorsements, uh, celebrity athletes, some of whom are going to be minorities who I am going to guess are fairly displeased 
by this president and his wishy-washy approach to white supremacy and neo-Nazism. And if Kevin Plank feels that participating with the president somehow contaminates the company's brand, and then somebody like uh, LeBron James, who just yesterday sent out an unflattering tweet about the president, you know, perhaps LeBron James would not want to sign some sort of a celebrity endorsement deal with Under Armour. I have to admit, this is me just speculating. I don't even know if LeBron James already does or does not have any sort of arrangement with Under Armour. I, that sort of stuff doesn't really stick in my head. I don't see these endorsements or these commercials, but things like that, they do factor in. And that's just at the commercial level. For compliance officers, you all need to think about here you are telling employees that speaking up for good ethics is important. Speaking up about misconduct is something we have to do. And the employees are all thinking, well, geez, if I put my neck out, it might get chopped off. And now, okay, corporate America, here's a chance for CEOs to put their neck out and say, we disagree with these values, so I'm out of here, which is what Kevin uh, Frazier, I'm sorry, Kenneth Frazier at Merck, it's what he did. I think he probably was motivated by more of a personal um, reprehensible or reprehension from what Trump said. Uh, but nonetheless, it's just you can't be telling company employees to speak up and that ethical values are good unto themselves if you're not going to do the same when you see it somewhere else. And we're seeing it in President Trump. And these CEOs are going to have to decide, do I speak up or not? Do Is it appropriate for a business to put its political stamp on the values of the individual employees in that manner? I certainly understand that uh, channeling my inner Mitt Romney, that corporations are people and that a corporation can take a political stance. But if someone uh, wants to be a Trump supporter, uh, shouldn't they be able to work for a company that at least acknowledges they have the right to do that? They have a right to support the president, but from a legal and employment perspective, um, the company also has a right to fire anybody who, um, in many states, for any reason or no reason at all, uh, certainly here in Massachusetts, uh, we are an employee at will state, unless you're in some sort of union collective bargaining agreement. Um Political views, you know, you're not a protected class, either if you're a Democrat at a Republican company or a Republican at a Democrat company. Um, but I think that is, I frankly, I think that misses the point that rejecting white supremacy should not be a political view. There is no political argument where under certain circumstances, white supremacy is okay. And so I can support it. No, this is a absolute moral question here. You know, either it's immoral or it's not. Now I'm on the side that white supremacy is not moral. It is not acceptable, not ever. And therefore, if you're out waving your tiki torch and pointing it at either Jews or blacks or minorities, or frankly, anybody I don't want you working on my payroll and I'm going to get rid of you. Um, but I think that it's for compliance programs. This is more about what Hui Chen said when she left the Justice Department uh, back in, in June, I think it was, where there's a cognitive dissonance that the government was inquiring of companies about their tone at the top and commitment to values while the Justice Department is run by President Trump, who has apparently no understanding of ethical values or a good tone at the top. There was a dissonance there that she couldn't square, so she left. That same dynamic is going to start playing out within companies, 
why am I, the employee, supposed to speak up about ethical misconduct or bad values when the CEO isn't doing it? If he or she's not going to do it, I don't have to do it either because they're not serious about it. That's what they'll see. The CEO isn't serious about it. And then that breeds employee cynicism about all of this stuff that we do in the compliance program, all of the training, all of the due diligence, all of the internal controls. They'll think it's just window dressing because the CEO doesn't do it. So I don't really need to do it either. I just need to smile and nod and complete my little online checklist of training. And then I don't have to do it. That's the cynicism. That's the the thing that's going to get in and infect the compliance program. And that's what we have to worry about. So you um, you brought up the or you touched upon the next topic I really wanted to also explore on this podcast, which is the individual response. And you cited Wei Chen. She's been very public about uh, the uh, cognitive dissonance that she personally experienced. But uh, you and I both know uh, and respect many professionals, many um, uh, professionals in the government who have stayed on career uh, mm-hmm. SEC, career uh, DOJs. Uh, lawyers, uh, others in uh, other functions of the government who have stayed on to do their job. And uh, I think many of them uh, are very principled, but the individual decision they have to make is, um, is it uh, the tone set by Donald Trump and his coterie of family members so corrupt that they cannot be a part of it? Or should they continue to do their jobs, try to enforce the laws of the United States as best they can, uh, and ameliorate what uh, may be a, a very unethical tone coming from the top? What might be your thoughts along those lines? It's a fair question, and I don't have as neat of a universal answer as I would like to give. Um, I think that for many career people who are further down the line in the Trump administration. These are very good people, regardless of what their political affiliation is. And should they just stick around and keep on doing what they're doing? Because the vast majority of the federal government churns along, no matter really who is at the top. Um, And frankly, Donald Trump makes himself more and more irrelevant to the political process in this country seemingly every day. I don't know about those sort of people, but I do know that at the very top, you know, these are people who do have some ability to um, influence the president. Like, really, to what end do you need to participate as fully? And uh, I think I mentioned earlier the Financial Times article that Larry Summers wrote, which is well worth reading, uh, where he said, imagine if you are the CEO of Walmart or Boeing or any other major company, like, why do you need to be on this council? Do you honestly, does anybody honestly think that the CEO of Boeing or Walmart, if they called up the White House, that President Trump wouldn't take the call? Of course he would. And not only that, but why would you want to talk to the president about economic policy? It's not like he actually makes it. Uh, there are many further down levels is where the nitty gritty of economic policy actually gets made. Um, so I think you know the higher up you are, the more good conduct is something that gets symbolized and gestures matter and communications matter and perception matters. And the f- it's not so much that these CEOs want to quit and become symbols of anti-Trump resistance. I don't think they do. I think this is the last headache that they really want. But it's going to become more and more a question for them. If you keep working with Trump, aren't you going to be more of a pro-Trump complicity? And I don't think that's going to be something that they're really going to relish anymore either. Um, 
the CEOs not internally. People are going to not like what they see, not externally. Company uh, customers, business partners, others, they might not like what they see. You know, you're, you're going to have to make a choice. And we talk about how standing up for ethics isn't easy and there are hard choices. Well, what do we think this is? This is not easy. This is not a, this is a hard choice, but, you know, it's hard to do. Honestly, though, I don't think it's that hard of a choice to understand what the right thing to do is. My son is three years old. I'm pretty sure he could figure out what the right thing to do here is. This past Saturday in the Saturday edition of the Financial Times, in the lunch with the Financial Times column, which comes out every Saturday, they uh, featured Sally Yates. And one of the things she said that struck me was that uh, she knew she was going to be fired. Uh, when she made the decision not to support the first Muslim ban or that the Department of Justice would not advocate for it because she did not believe it was constitutional. And I thought what, that was as fine an example of someone standing up for what they believe the law was and suffering the ultimate employment consequence, which was she was terminated. Mm-hmm. And that um, that personal choice, I think, uh, resonates now through certainly the government, uh, the next thing that I think companies uh, are going to start to have to consider is either a uh, anti-Trump message or a not not participatory um, message with the uh, administration in terms of what's that going to do for their domestic and international business. And I, I don't know if people have started to not assess the risk, but actually kind of do a quantitative analysis to see what's going to happen. Now, layered upon that is the incredible uncertainty that Trump has put the U.S. business community in, in terms of his economic policy or lack thereof, his trade policy or lack thereof, his sanctions policy, which uh, seems to be um, perhaps lack thereof works there too. But in this complete uh, chaos that he has created economically, uh, we in a, uh, one of our podcasts, talked about Plan C, D, and E. Well, maybe we're down to T, uh, R, T, and S, um, R, S, and T as well, simply because uh, the fallout now could be so great literally across the globe for seeming to support or not support Trump. You know, I've given some thought to this, and I think the corner that Trump has painted himself into is that he makes it easier for more and more people to see that opposing him is nothing but upside for their own domestic constituencies. Certainly, you can see that in Congress and uh, with the Democrats, they oppose everything Trump does all the way through. Because why? Why would you support him? It's only going to cost you votes if you're a Democrat. You, I live in a state that is Democratic, but we have a Republican governor, Charlie Baker, and he is he too sees He opposes almost everything Donald Trump says, not necessarily actively, but he's never endorsed anything because why would he? It doesn't help with his domestic constituencies. You actually also have seen this internationally when Trump pulled out of the Paris Accords. Don't forget, he said, and we'll negotiate a better deal. There's no better deal. Uh, the, The rest of the world said, okay, be that guy at the party who's a total jerk. We're going to continue with the Paris Accords. And now groups like China and the rest, they're running away with clean energy development and whatnot. But again, opposing Trump pays off politically. I think we're going to see the same in the corporate realm, where you won't necessarily 
be opposing Trump. I don't think that Ken Frazier at Merck is going to start waving around resistance banners or anything, but he's just going to say, I choose not to engage. And that works because now suddenly people remember Merck's the one where, oh yeah, that CEO said he doesn't buy into the neo-Nazi stuff. And where's the downside for doing that? It's not like people are going to stop taking Merck medications because they're in favor of neo-Nazism. This is ridiculous. Nothing like that is going to happen. But you know, I'm sure Ken Frazier sleeps better at night because he did the right thing. As of yesterday, Merck's share prices went up, although I don't think that has anything to do with what he did here. But people are going to remember this. But you know, companies that do say they're going to stick around with Donald Trump or new CEOs who are going to join this panel now, why would you do that? Why would you take Merck's slot on this committee? Because you're just inviting trouble. The worst that can happen if you do nothing is when you have a good idea and you call the president, he's still going to answer the phone because that's what he wants and everybody knows it. So I, I think we're going to see more and more where just non-cooperation or non-engagement or even outright opposition to Trump, it's just it's going to pay off much more than working with them is going to hurt you. So, I mean, what do we think is going to happen here? It certainly made the business world even more complex, and the um, I guess the on the certainly on the Paris Peace Accords, uh, Paris Peace Accords. Gosh, I just hated myself <laughs> on the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, sorry, Henry Kissinger. Um, on the Paris Climate Accords, uh, what I have seen is a corporate response uh, recognizing that business is going to change because the rest of the world's changing, and that businesses yeah. need to, if not be a part of this, if not leading. Uh, this effort, being a part of that discussion. And in many ways, that's what I advocate as a business response to legal problems. But here we have really business responses to um, moral problems and the moral problem of uh, uh, a president advocating uh, alt-white and uh, alt-right and white supremacy in uh, press conferences. So um, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think, more uh, more things are going to have to go into every business decision calculus along these lines. And it's going to make, mm -hmm. uh, when you couple it with the complete economic uh, chaos that he has created, um, make it more difficult and hopefully companies can hold on uh, until things uh, settle down a bit. You know, I'll, I'll have one more final thought here is just when people say they want to be close to the president so they can influence the policy and the plans, what, what policy? What plans? What, what plans are you talking about? What action? This administration so far has done virtually nothing of any significance. And while it is starting to repeal various lower level regulations, you know, your VP of business or regulatory affairs or strategic affairs, he or she working with that subsecretary in a regulatory agency, they're the ones who get that done. Um, it's not as if you're being close to the president so you can influence healthcare policy. We haven't done anything. I don't think we're going to make a move on tax reform or anything like this. And again, just where's the upside to hanging around with this guy? I don't know. And it's going to be a question that CEOs are going to have to ask. You know, maybe that should be the uh, title of the podcast. Where's the upside? <laughs> okay. So, Matt, a lot to unpack from this. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, I'm glad you uh, date and time stamped uh, this podcast because it's a very fluid and evolving situation. And I'm sure we're going to have to take a look at this from the risk perspective in various other uh, areas uh, later. But um, uh, kudos on the blog post. I'm certainly going to link to it uh, uh, when I put this podcast up and I look forward to continuing the conversation.
All right. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it if you would rate this podcast as it would help in our rankings and also get the word out about the only podcast that takes a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance and compliance-related topic. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, and I hope you'll join us again for another episode next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.